Chapter Seventeen of the Ghost Ship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ghost Ship by John Conran Hutchison. Chapter Seventeen: Doctor and Patient. Faith, it's mighty glad I am, sir, to see you at last cried Garry O'Neill, starting up from his seat at the cuddy table on our ultimately reaching the saloon, where the Irish mate was having a rather late lunch with Mr. Stokes, who had preceded us below. "'I was just coming after you again, Colonel, when I snatched a bit of mouthful to keep the devil out of me stomach, sure. I want to inspect that game leg of yours, sir, now that I've settled your poor friend's head. Big gara, Colonel, somebody gave him a tidy tap on the skull when they were about it.' It was done with a handspike, explained the other, groaning with pain, as we assisted him to a seat at the further end of the table, where the skipper's armchair was drawn out for him, to fix him up more comfortably. One of those treacherous niggers came behind his back, and dealt him a terrific blow that landed on the side of his head partly, nearly cutting his ear off. Aye, I saw that, sir, of course, put in Garry, pouring out some brandy into a tumbler, which he proceeded to fill up with water. Aqua pura, he called it. I've strapped it on again now, and it looks as neat as nine pins. But just drink this, Colonel, dear. It'll warm the cockles of your heart, sure, and put fresh life into you. The American took a sip first of the glass proffered him, and then drained off the contents with a sigh of deep satisfaction. Ah, he exclaimed, I feel a little better. But how is poor Captain Alphonse now? Bagad, he's getting on elegantly, replied Garry, sniffing at a soup plate containing some steaming compound which Weston, the steward, had just brought in, and directing that worthy to place it in front of our poor invalid guest. That was a nasty piece of bone splinter sticking to the creature's brain pan. But first I trepanned him and removed the impediment, and the poor chap's now slapping as sweetly as a baby, slapping in the captain's cot over yonder. "'But come, Colonel, I want you to take some of this piece soup here "'before I set to work carving you about. <laughs> "'Big or it's fine stuff. It'll set you up to rights.' "'Thank you a thousand times,' returned he, "'taking a mouthful or two of the soup which Weston had placed before him, "'eating very sparingly at first, like one who had been deprived of food for some time. "'I'm not afraid of your handling me, sir. "'I have undergone too many operations for that.' "'Faith, Colonel!' cried the Irishman, laughing in his usual good-tempered racy manner. "'You'd best speak well of the craft, or I'll be after paying you out, sure. I'll and I, when I get your leg in me grip. Just you'll stow some more of that elegant soup inside your belt, sir, before I start on the job, and while you're eating, I'll tell you how I once served out an old woman whom I was called on to doctor when I was at Old Trinity learning the profession in faith.' "'That's right, O'Neill,' said the skipper, seeing his motive in trying to set our sad guest at his ease and try and distract his thoughts from the awful anxiety and grief under which he was laboring. "'Have I heard the yarn before, hm?' "'Well, face and what I know of, Captain,' returned the doctor pro tem, in his free and easy manner. "'Begor, the joke's too much against myself, sir, for me to be after telling the story too often.' "'Never mind that. It'll make us all the more interesting to us,' said the skipper, with a knowing wink to Mr. Stokes, both of them knowing Garry's old stories only too well, 
but at such a time as this they would have listened to anything if it would only serve to distract the poor colonel's thoughts for a few minutes, and they chuckled in recollection of the many jokes against himself that Gary had perpetrated. Fire away with your yarn. Uh, Begad, then, uh, here goes, began O'Neill with a grin. You must know, Colonel, if you will have it, that I was only a sucking sawbone, so to speak, at the time. Faith, I was a medical student in my first year, having barely mastered the bones. The bones, interrupted the skipper. What the deuce do you mean, man? Sure, the introductory study of anatomy, sir, explained Gary, rather grandiloquently, going on with his yarn. Well, one fine day, when I and another fellow who kept the same terms as myself was walking the hospital, wondering when we'd be able to pass the college, sure the hall porter comes in into the ward we were in, and acts as if we knew where Professor Lancet, the house surgeon, was to be found, as he was wanted at once. Fess, says Terence Mahoney, me chum, the other medical student who is with me, he's gone to see the Lord Lieutenant who's been struck down with the measles, <laughs> and the devil only knows when he'll get back from the castle, sure. What's the matter, out doubt? Who wants old Lancet at this outlandish time of day? The hall porter took Mahoney's chair, faith in all sober seriousness. "'It's mighty sorry I am,' says he. "'Master Lancet's gone to the castle, though proud I am for old Trinity's sake, "'saying as how the Lord Lieutenant has for to send to us, sure, "'because them murther and sassa doctors that he brought over the say with him from England "'ain't a patch on our chaps. "'The face or a poor woman, as the professor knows, is looking mighty bad in her inside,' "'some of her neighbours says, and wants us help at once. "'Who is it, O'Dowd?' I asked. "'Do you know where she lives?' "'Mistress Flanagan's her name,' says the porter. "'She's Mistress Lancet's old laundress. Uh, "'So a cantankerous old woman, too, "'and with the devil of a temper. "'She lives just out of Dame Street, sure, in Abbey Lane. "'Anyone'll tell you the place, sure.' "'What say you to go and to see the old creature?' "'says I to Terence Mahoney. "'We'll leave the word where we've gone, "'and I'm sure Mr. Lancet will be pleased to hear "'we're looking after the old lady.' "'Begorra that he will, sir,' agreed Dodd the porter. "'It's mighty kind of you two gentlemen going for to say her, "'and I'll make a pint of letting the doctor know "'when he comes back from the Lord Lieutenant.' "'All right, Dowd says I. "'Mind you tell the professor, "'and he can then follow us up on his return to the college, "'that is, if he likes.' With that, the two of us went out on our errand of mercy, "'though it was lucky I left that message with O'Dowd, "'as you'll learn presently.' It didn't take us long to find the house where the sick woman was, for as we turned into the strait, a dirty old hag smoking a short pipe came up to us with a smirk on her ugly fizz. "'God save Ireland,' says she, addressing Terence. "'Be yez the doctor's gentleman from the hospital, let it?' "'Faith were that,' says my companion, the pair of us. "'Then come along,' says she. "'Mistress Flanagan is dying to say you sure. "'The sight of yous is good for sore eyes.' Begorra, says Terence, I wouldn't have come at all at all if she hadn't been dying, the poor creature. Where is she? In the corner there, returns the old hag, removing her dirty little black doudine of a pipe for a minute from between her teeth in order to spake the better. She's a sorting in that chair there, as she has been since the morning, without saying a word to mortal soul after she told us to send for the doctor. May the devil fly away with me, but Peggy Flanagan can be obstinate in faith when she likes. 
Terence Mahoney and I then poked our noses into the corner of the room, the old hag stirring the turf fire on the hearth to give us a bit of light, and we saw the old creature, who looked as broad as she was long, sitting in a big armchair and staring at us with large open eyes. But though she was breathing hard like a grampus, she didn't speak nothing. "'What's the matter, my good woman?' says Mahoney, going up to her and speaking kindly to the poor creature. "'Let me feel your pulse.' He caught hold of her hand, which hung down the side of the chair, and fumbled at the wrist for some time, the old woman staring and saying nothing at all at all. Faith, Gary O'Neill, I can't find any pulse at her at all at all. She must be dead, worse luck. Och, you am a done, can't you see her eyes are open, says I. Get out of the way and let me try. Begorra, though, I couldn't feel any pulse at all either. "'She's in a faint, I think,' says Terence, pretending for to know all about it. Uh, "'We had just such a case in hospital to the day. "'It's one of uh, suspended animation.' "'Blatheration, Terence,' I cried at hearing this. "'You'll be a case of suspended animation yourself by and by.' "'Oh, Faith, how's that?' says he. "'What do you mean? "'Why, when you're hung, my boy, for your ignorance of your profession?' "'Sure, one can see with half an eye "'the poor creature is suffering from lumbago "'or peritonitis of the cranium, faith.' "'As we were arguing the point, "'the old hag who had introduced us "'brought our discussion to an end "'just as Terence made up his mind "'that the case was cholera or elephantiatus "'or something equally uh, ridiculous. "'Bad cess to the obstinate, cantankerous old creature,' "'cried she, "'catching the poor sick woman by the scruff of the neck "'and shaking her violently backwards and forwards, "'after which she banged the poor thing violently on the seat of the chair. "'Will ye now speak to their honours, or will ye not? Won't ye now?' "'She be that stubborn,' said she, turning to us. "'Did ye ever see anything like it afore?' "'Mahoney then told her to put out her tongue, "'but the devil a bit of her tongue saw we, nor would she say a word as her, to her ailment and, uh, to give us a clue, though I believe on my oath, Colonel, we mentioned every complaint known to the pharmacopoeia. Well, Terence was axing civilly if she had chilled blains of the throat, for it was a dip the winter at the time to prevent her talking. But our coaxing was all in vain like the old eggs shaking. Faith, not a word moved our patient. She was that in all conscience, sure. Bagora. "'I'll send a bucket of cold water over her "'and say if that'll teach her manners,' said the old hag, "'who, who told us uh, her own name was Biddy Flynn, "'on our giving her an odd sixpence for a drop of drink. "'It's a shame to bring his honours out for nothing.' "'Well, she was just going to do what she had threatened, "'sure enough, when providentially in walked the professor from the college. "'He'd been listening outside the door, I believe, all the time.' Uh, Terence and myself was talking and arguing about the old dame's complaint, puzzling our brains to find what was the matter with her, for the base of a man had a broad grin on his face, like that you, you see on a mealy potato with the jacket pails off of it, when he turned around to us after examining poor Miss Flanagan, now all in a heap on her chair. Faith, I must compliment you gentlemen on the profound skill and knowledge you have shown in your profession, says he. "'I don't think I've ever heard a more ignorant or illiterate diagnosis of a case "'since I've been professor at Trinity College.' Oh, "'He was a mighty polite man,' was Professor Lancet. "'Terence and I both agreed on his saying this, "'and thought our fortunes were made and we'd get our diplomas at once without any examination, sure. 
"'by his next remark pretty soon took the conceit out of both of us. "'It's lucky for you two dunderheaded ignoramuses,' he went on to say in a nasty sneering way "'the beast had with him when he was angry and was any way put out. "'Precious lucky for you, Mr. Terence Mahoney, and you too, Gary O'Neill, "'that I chanced to come after you, thinking you'd be up to some mischief, "'or else you'd have put your foot in it with a vengeance and murdered between you, "'this poor harmless old woman lying here. "'I am ashamed and disgusted with you.' "'He then proceeded to tell what the poor creature was suffering from, "'and what do you think her complaint was, Colonel? "'Just give me a guess now, just uh, to oblige me, sure.' "'Great Scott!' cried the American, smiling at O'Neill's naive manner and the happy and roguish expression on his face, our guest's appearance having been much improved by the food of which he had partaken, as well as the stimulant which had put some little color into his pale cheeks. "'I'm sure I can't guess. But what was it, sir, for you have excited my curiosity?' End of chapter 17